creative self is like this organism that you need to cultivate. And that energy is, is real genuine. You can't fake it. Hey everybody, welcome to Brainers, where we unpack the latest trends in technology and creativity through real stories of creative breakthroughs brought to you by Z by HP. In each episode, we'll dive inside the creative minds of the world's most innovative thinkers. I'm your host, Tito Hamzy, a man on a mission to get his left brain to understand some of the biggest right brains out there. I'd love to give a warm welcome to designer slash director slash artist slash vegan slash galactic crusader, Bradley G. Monkowitz, better known as G-Monk. He's changing the way we think about everything from fluid simulations to creative collaboration, one mind-blowing work of art at a time. Welcome to the show, G-Monk. Thank you, Tito. Good to be here. Multidisciplines. Designing, directing, experimental, the technology, the, the cool stuff, the creative things, the list goes on. How is life? How's life? Life's good, man. I mean, I'm a little bit concerned about the state of the world like everyone else, but yep. always keep busy. You know, if things slow down, I go into learning uh, new techniques, new research. I've been learning a lot of things about fluid simulations, mm-hmm. uh, simulating water and fire and smoke. So is that like, is, is that very uh, rudimentary basic stuff you're working on there? Is that complex stuff? And then you're testing for future things? Like, how's that all working? Because fluid simulations, it looks like, looks intense. Everything is correlated, right? Mm-hmm. Everything's, everything has a symbiotic relationship. Every piece of art form that I do is all codependent on each other. So if I start, I was on set and we were doing a phantom shoot with rain grids waterfalls and dancers, right? Mm-hmm. And I was watching it. And so, and I was really into how you could refract through water and how water would displace on forms. And, and so I was like, I need to learn how to do this in 3D so I have more control. So yeah. I don't need, you know, 30 people on set to make this kind of stuff, right? So that's what I've been teaching myself is how to simulate nature, how to simulate elements in the computer. Yeah, that's mind-blowing. Billions of billions of particles going. You, you went to Humboldt, from what I understand. Humboldt State, baby. Now you're, now you're doing these fluid simulations, but I want the people to, to know a little bit about you. But there's tons of information and content out there. And you're all about like learning and figuring out stuff. So I was wondering, could you give us just like a very brief of like key learnings from then until now that have brought you to where you are? One of the key learnings in college was to live gently. Right. Uh, right when I arrived at Humboldt, I lived with eight vegans. Mm-hmm. Right. I was a kid from Minneapolis, born and raised. My whole family moved to San Francisco and I went to college in Humboldt and immediately moved in with eight vegans. Yeah. Each vegan was, was a vegan for a different reason. There was the athlete, there was the animal rights activist, there was the environmental activist, there was like the hippie shaman. You know, it was like there was the punk rock straight edge. You know, everyone had a different reason. And so I, get, I just got beat in right away to just live gently and gracefully. And I, and I adopted that for 20, 22 years. I was vegan. I'm still mostly vegan. I cheat with like, if I go to a really expensive restaurant with my wife, I'll have a piece of cheese pizza, you know, like. Yeah. Yeah. When in Rome. <laughs> but I, I think developing like those healthy habits early you know, when I was young was really pivotal in everything I do because I believe in energy. I believe that creativity is an energy that you bring to your work. 
Mm-hmm. And and also just being kind of just a chill, easy to work with, cool kind of dude. And that opens up collaboration opportunities because people want to work with you when you're easy to work with and chill and fun and and graceful. And, and you really understand when things aren't meant for you that you let those things go. What's an example of that? Of like you taking that and well, then getting a into lo- a collaboration with someone? Sure. I mean, I think a lot of the reason that I am so multidisciplinary is because all of my closest friends work in these industries, mm-hmm. right? And we're just a bunch of we're just a bunch of kids that like to play with toys, right? And we we channel our childhood into the enthusiasm we bring to these different mediums: robotics, live action, photography. You know, all of my different projection, any sort of light form, sculpture. You know, any anything, music, editing, narrative. You know, I have I have friends, really, really dear friends for. 15 years that all work in these industries. We, we collaborate all the time. And that opened, you know, I could never do this kind of stuff on my own. I would never be able to learn all of it. But when you work with people you love and people you adore, then it's, it's so much easier to learn. It's so much more fun to learn and you yeah. make things together. You know, I grew up making films, you know, making stop motion films and, you know, VHS recorders you know, running around making little, you know, horror films in, in college, you know, 16 millimeter films. And uh, it's just, we're, you know, played Dungeons and Dragons growing up with a, take the little figurines and paint them with my older brother, create characters. We all became gods. You know, we'd cheat in the game. We had all, all our characters were gods in the end, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. wipe out everyone with 400 hit points, and you know, crush it. It's just something that I've always lived by is just live really gracefully and just, and to be chill. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's just to understand like when things aren't meant for you, there's really no possessiveness or control in the world of creativity. In my mind, I, I love to share, yep. you know, I love to be open. And I think all of those things, all of those kind of mantras l- kind of build you as a creative. I think one of my heroes is Spike Jones. And Spike Jones is one of those guys that grew up skateboarding, made all the, filmed all the jackass films, yep. you know, would film the, the Beastie Boys, was really into like all the, the cool kind of shit, but super hands-on as a filmmaker. And, you know, has gone on to be a huge feature film director, but his crew still exists. Like all the people that he came up with are still his closest collaborators. If he's got a family, right? Yeah. And the same way, I got a family of, of friends and, and to really understand crediting too, like to really credit the credit your friends, you know, seek to elevate your people. You know, it's not just about, it's not a one man show. It never yeah. is a one man show. And I think that's super important. I think just that whole sphere of, of belief system, I think has really formed the creative I am. And like having that group of people and having the creative collaboration and the laid back attitude and being able to work on projects at the the speed and the breath that you're working at, when you're coming up with an idea, right? How do you, do you take it on from a client brief? Do you have the idea? Do you mold it to the client brief? What is your process of from idea to completion? I think it really depends on what we're doing, right? If, if mm-hmm. it is an agency commercial job through an agency, yeah. then I do react to the brief. I react yeah. to their brief. And I understand with agency work that it's not necessarily mine. Yep. Right. I'm hired to help them service a client. And, and so I, I really actually respect their brief quite a bit and always tried to add a few new takes on everything and some really cool execution to it. But I respect the foundation of the work 
that they've done because they've sold it through to the client. How often do you work on your own passion projects? Like, I mean, and I imagine everything is, every product that I've seen you do, I'm like, holy moly, these, this is so clean. Holy, what the heck? How is this done? Oh my God, this is amazing. But then I see a, I see a little piece like uh, Monkey King and I'm like, oh, that looks fun. That looks like fun. they were just having a good time. And, yeah. and, and, and your behind the scenes video on that one, it had a different vibe than the other behind the scenes videos that I watched previously. So like, how do you split your time up between passion products and work? And then how do you pick what you, what you want to work on yourself? Yeah, so that's a great question as well. I think the key to that is time management. Okay. Mm. And, and you, may, you may be listening to me and you might be like, oh, this guy's, you know, just kind of this flighty, you know, hippie little dude that's just kind of waving his arms around and has like really no idea what's going on. And, you know, or like no structure to his day. It's actually just the opposite. My, my time is a design in itself. Yeah. You know, where I'm, I'm, I structure my day. I color code it. I color code my whole life on my calendar, right? Yeah. Everything's color coded. And one thing that is always happening on my calendar is personal projects. Always, always. So every day I'm working on a personal project because I have, and and so I I will, I'll schedule them out, you know, for three weeks, I'm working on this for three weeks. I'm working on this, this, I'm doing this research. So in amongst the client projects are always the personal and they're color coded. So the personal projects are blue and gold, you know, blue and gold kind of, and I can isolate them on my calendar. So I can isolate them. My client projects are all gray, you know, in studios, green, and then social and recreations, purple and red, you know? So it's like, you know, so it's everything is, so I, I have trained me, I've done this for years and I just, I trained myself to look at the day and I'm like, okay, yeah, boom, boom, boom. We have this with this, we have the recreation, you know, as a workout or going to the park with my dog as recreation, hanging out with friends. So, you know, whatever. And, uh, but there's always blue and gold in there. Always. Yeah. Yeah. There has to be, or else you go crazy. Go crazy. But I mean, you know, I think, I think to that point though, I think you should do, you should treat your client projects like personal projects, you know, like personal work, because the thing that you, you should propose things to clients that you want to do. Mm-hmm. Right. And if you, and if they don't, and if it doesn't award or they don't accept it, that's okay. You know, it's okay. Move on to the next one, pitch it again, you know, pitch it again. Um, so a lot of my client projects feed into my personal projects, either as research or just like a straight up execution on something I want to do. Right. So for instance, we made a film called Orbis Integra. It's all about cymatics. I'm going to now apply that, those learnings, those, those, that research to a client project. And then those learnings from a client project all apply to a personal project, you know, and it's just, it's, it's, it's never ends. It's that snowball. Circle of life. The circle of life, baby. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's important though, to just like, to have fun with your client projects. And I think also, you know, when you're working with agencies and clients, be authentic, you know, you don't have to, yeah, I'm wearing a nice shirt here because I want to doll this up a little bit, but you know, yeah, I got like these cool shirts, but you know, I'm, I'm never going to not be myself. Yeah. You know what I mean? With a client, I'm not going to put on some like official, you know, facade of, you know, it, it's always myself. And they, and they see through that too. They totally well, do Well, and too. I think it's just like, you, it, it goes back to the vibe thing. You know, it's like, I'm, I'm very easy to work with because I understand that, you know, not all things have to work, yeah. you know, and there's discoveries along the way. And another thing that I'm 
really, really honest with myself about is failures. You know, I, I shot a film last or early this year uh, for a title sequence. And there were so many things I could have done better, you know, and, and, and there's reasons for why they weren't done better. And mm-hmm. so I write those things down and I've had two shoots since. And I just, you know, was all over that. Never make that same mistake twice. You know, I, if I, if I, if I didn't have it this time, I have it this time. And I, yeah. and I just would never make that same mistake twice. And I think you just have to be really honest with yourself. And as long as you learn from those and don't do it again, or just, you know, really, really apply yourself to fix everything, you'll constantly get better. Learn from those failures. Yeah, and learn. And that's what's and just important. Get better, you know, just like keep on getting better. So off of that, because people want to know like real hands-on stuff that they can go and try them themselves. What software are you using to do all this type of stuff? So I use Maya. I've been using Maya since the beginning of time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've just always liked it. Um, and, and there's a plugin for Maya called Bifrost. And that is their ocean and fluid simulation. And they also have one called Arrow, which yep. is for smoke. And, and then I, and then I kind of always go back to my graphic days where it's like, okay, I'm making these fluid sims and now I want to make them particles. Yep. So now there's 60 million particles that I'm rendering and it, and it looks kind of like something out of a sci-fi film, but there's also other software like cinema 4d has a fluid generator. Uh, Houdini is probably the best thing to use. Um, that's what vi- visual effects companies use to make giant explosions and such. And learning these, are you self-taught or are you taking classes? How are you learning about self-taught? This stuff? Yeah, well, YouTube, man. You can really learn anything on YouTube these days. Yeah. There's so many videos for it. Yeah. Was there a big learning curve? Yeah, yeah, I would say so. But I've spent you know 20 years doing this, like so. I'm used to kind of the logic of software. Yeah. You know what I mean? It all has kind of the same logic and the same kind of interface structure. I used Mm -hmm. to design interfaces myself as well. So I understand like, you know, kind of how this all, how this all works. But I would say, you know, for people getting into motion design and, and, and 3D animation, I think Cinema 4D is probably the most approachable, you know, and they're getting great render engines. Uh, They've partnered with Redshift and uh, there's amazing render engines for Cinema Octane as well, using the GPU. Maya is kind of a different, level it's but i just always have used it houdini um i think those are the three kind of best ones to learn for what i'm doing yeah i remember i opened maya once and i was like i'm completely overwhelmed and then i yeah yeah, it looks like a (laughs) rocket ship it looks like you're in in a space shuttle or something i want to know what was the turning point that pushed you into 3d i have a a background in in design Mm -hmm. you know and and i started off in uh, interactive design doing uh, flash flash is an old school you know, web animation program from the early 2000s that everyone used to make flash websites and stuff. Then yeah. I went into motion design. In that course of events, those mediums, you know, 3D is a huge part of it. And yeah. for me, I never wanted to get into the like really hardcore hands-on 3D animation. It just wasn't my thing. I was more of a kind of a pretty designer <laughs> than like wanting to like, you know, rig a man's arm for three days, you know, yeah, like yeah, yeah. doing bones and skinning and stuff. It just wasn't interesting to me. I was much more into like the design of everything. Right. So 3d to me was always a tool to make design. And so, and so I would always use 3d to create like flat shaded renders, meaning it doesn't really have, you know, materials to it. it I use 3d to make graphic design, if you mm. will. 
And so, and from there, I would always kind of think to myself, how do I want to use 3D? I want to use 3D to, you know, do these kind of psychedelic fisheye distortions. I'm really into lens distortions. Yeah. I'm really into optics and kind of filtering optics and and lens distortions. So I found a way in 3D to have a fisheye lens and to put a fisheye lens inside a shape full of points in a, in a fisheye lens is cool, cool because everything distorts around the camera that was a really fun way for me to make these portals, you know, these, these kind of graphic portals in 3d mm-hmm. that when, when someone looks at that, they're like, Oh my God, how did you make that an illustrator? That would have taken you 10 days. It's like, no, actually it didn't, <laughs> you know, it took me, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's just, it's just like being clever about how you use things in 3d can get you really far in graphic design, but actually 3d animation and stuff. I'm not the kind of guy that's going to lay down 500 keyframes. I'm not, I'm, it doesn't inspire me. So instead yeah. I say, okay, to get animation, I want to manipulate natural substances and fluids and water and, and different, you know, natural elements with, a, with a, the animation built in where I just tell it, where does it go? What does it collide with? Yeah. How does it spin? What are the fields applied to it? And it animates itself. AI is like a huge thing now. And how do you see that like playing into your work, artificial intelligence and that type of stuff? I don't think AI will ever replace a creative. You know, I think it's more of something that is, you feed it and you teach it to learn and it gives you results. And a lot of people are using it to uh, style transfer, for instance, you know, where you put in a bunch of styles and you watch it kind of learn from these styles and create something unexpected. And it's beautiful. And the way it transitions from one to the other and, and just how it moves is really cool. I think it's slightly overused because right now it's kind of doing the same thing a lot of, for a lot of art being made. And for me, I'm not you, really well, getting into What do you mean by it. that? It's doing a lot of things that well, a lot of it's, art being it's, that, it's kind of mean? like it returns the same kind of aesthetic every time. Mm. You know, a lot of people are doing, using it to manipulate landscapes, yeah. right? Where they, you see the landscapes morphing from one to the other. You, you feed a lot of things. Um, you know, I, I, when I was living in London for a while and uh, I was working out of the Field Studio. Field's an awesome design studio. Uh, one of my dear friends, Marcus, is uh, Marcus and Vera are the founders. And they were doing a lot of stuff where they had my wife, who's a painter, Mm-hmm. paint all these beautiful textured acrylic washes. And then they fed it into the AI and had the AI interpret her paintings to apply to f- photographs. So okay. her paintings were then assembling these landscapes and the landscapes had all these cool gradients and, you know, washes and texture to it. And it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people are doing that kind of thing where they input a set of images to have it make a landscape or a city or, and it's kind of the same, it, it kind of animates the same way. And, and I'm, I'm not, I haven't fully embraced it just yet, um, but I do, I'm really, really inspired by systems. And yeah. what I mean by systems is DoorDash was a system. You know, we fed it all these photographs and we said, okay, here is your grid. You could populate the grid any way you want. No two seconds are the same or would ever be the same because there's all these random seeds on where it could go with all these permutations. It's an infinite system. You could call it AI, but it's a system that we design. It's yeah. not a system that we just let, you know, kind of propagate on its own. I mean, it can mm-hmm. kind of propagates on its own, but it's a controlled system, I guess, right? And, and, and I think that at some point, as it gets more sophisticated, I think we will let 
AI do more? And it's inspiring because it's just, it's a, it's a different, it's a different interpretation of what you're giving it. You know, it's like a, it's like a, a different voice to your work, which is cool. It's very cool. Yeah. You know, so I think, I think it's early days. Yeah. So how do you keep disciplined with so many like things that are part of your experiments, your experiences, these productions, like, are, are you focused on one part or are you dabbling in every little thing and trying to master it all? I kind of the latter. I think that I think you're that neurotic. You, can never, you like want it all to be done yeah, yeah. perfect. Well, I think and, that I I think that you delegate to your 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 crew, right? Yeah. You delegate to your people, and there's things that when you're exposed to something, and you're and you have this curiosity, to, you know, when and you're exposed to things, you you pick it up. Yep. You by just by exposure, you learn. But there are masters of these things where I could never really want to go as deep as they do. But these are all people that I love and adore that I work with, and they're the masters. And I just kind of, you know, as a director or as, a, or as an artist, you kind of steer the ship and you just, you want people to have their voice, to have their input, to have their roles in everything. And you just kind of balance it all. And I think the vibe comes from the top, you know, the vibe comes from the top. When people know when they work with you that they're going to have a voice and they have a role, their role is more important. With that, their work becomes better. You know, I I worked on a a feature film called Tron Legacy. I designed all the holograms in the film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And me and a a crew of five of my, my homies. And what I learned from that was watching the director, Joseph Kaczynski, same kind of vibe. He would, he trusted us so much with these, with everything, you know, he would just trust us and just let us run with things and just give us the space. And it always felt like such a nice creative process, you mm-hmm. know, and just that this, just the kind of the long leash he gave us. Yeah. There, and, there was no micromanaging. There, yeah, no. And it was, and, and, and his producers understood that everybody understood that. And it was just from there, I just, I always said, you know what, if I ever get into directing, back then I was much more into motion design uh-huh. than, than directing. And I said, if I'm ever going to get into directing, I want to be just like Joe. You know, I want that vibe. You know, he's, he's very prepared. He's yeah. very calm. He's very methodical. And left such an indelible imprint on me. Just such a, he's such a, such a, such a G, man. Such a cool dude, you know, <laughs> but in this like really methodical, graceful way. And, uh, and I've always, you know, sought to emulate his, his, his kind of intelligence and his vibe and what he brings to things and, and how yeah. he enables his collaborators. And do you feel that, that that feeling is achieved through or enhanced by collaboration and learning from others? Yeah. And, and learning on my own. It's just, it's just that feeling of that spark. Creativity is a spark. That's an aha moment. How many times have we been in the shower Shower for me. It's always the shower. And, you, and you're like, something, just, it's just a, it's a spark in your head. You're like, oh, wait a minute. That's it. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. And, and that spark, that feeling, that little rush of adrenaline for me is everything. Yeah. Is everything. And I constantly am trying to throw down as many sparks as I can in my kind of the continuum of, create, of my creative life because that's the feeling I want. Yeah, you know, and so learning fluid sims is the same thing. You you learn one thing, and you're like, okay, wait a minute, I can apply this to this, to this, and this could become this, and this could become this, and it's just it's just fun, you know, yeah. it's just fun, and you know, I think I think the key is just to 
is just to remain curious and to know that like 80% of what you do, 60% of what you do shouldn't be shown. You know, it doesn't, you know, but then, but then everyone nowadays is so into process. Like I'm into product. Like when people, sometimes when you see the finished product of something, right. You're like, okay, that was dope. That was dope. But then you see the behind the scenes and you're like, holy. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so the, the journey sometimes is more important than the destination. What do you have your eye on uh, for any new techniques or any new mediums that you're exploring in the future? As I get older, I feel more. You know, I'm finding that I feel more. I feel more strongly as like I get you older. Cry easier in movies. Yeah, cry easier. Just I, I just feel moments more, and I'm more into moments and and narrative and storytelling. And so for me, the dream is to create experiences yeah. that people go through experiences that they, you know, that they go through in a real environment. But that's kind of the dream is, is to create shows or experiences that you can go through and each environment, you know, full environmental takeover. Holy moly. You hear and you feel the resonance and you see and everything around you is, is, is design and animation and it's immersive and it has a narrative thread through it. That's something that really inspires me. Yeah. That enthusiasm is energy. It's, it's energy that you have to bring physically and emotionally to your work. And that energy doesn't make itself. You know, you have to cultivate that energy. It's like growing plants. You have to cultivate that energy and continually expose it to stimuli. You know, it's like your creative self is like this organism that you need to cultivate over and over again to keep that energy. And that yeah. energy is, is real genuine. Can't fake it. So how do you, you're working on these complex projects, at least they seem complex to me when I'm looking at it from the outside and you're working with all these different people, many moving parts, tons of collaboration. And I feel like it can, con- like you can be just be tweaking this and tweaking this and changing. Like how do you know when one of your creative projects is complete when you're like, this is ready to go out into the world now. My baby's ready to be born. Like how do you know when it's ready, when it's finished? Do you have a, a light bulb moment? Is it, is it different every time? I'm just, I'm just very curious. I think the answer to that is nothing is ever really finished. Like you, you know? can always think you can do more? Always. Yeah. Always. But I think that you just, you don't want to work on something too much where it loses its appeal. You know, you want to, because I, you don't look at, you don't just look at a project as like one thing. That's yeah. just, that's, a, you know, like that has to be perfect. I look at a project as a piece in the continuum. Like I'm already thinking ahead to what I'm going to be making when I'm 60 years old. <laughs> you know, I'm 65 years old, living in Barcelona, you know, going hiking in the mountains and doing some rad volumetric panoramas, you know, who, who knows, yeah. right? But, but I'm always thinking like, I'm, I'm designing, I'm a, I'm a creative professional. It's a disease that I have in a way that, because I have to keep on making to be happy. And if I don't mm-hmm. make, I get really sad. You know, that's why photography has been so good because I can go on trips. Like, let's just say the family's going on a trip, right? And I can't be at my computer. I can't make anything. I take my camera out, right? So I'm constantly, be, hey guys, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go off for a few hours and photograph downtown Sofia in Bulgaria, you know? Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to go for a couple because people know that I need to do that to be happy. 
Otherwise, I'm just like, what am I doing? I'm just, I'm not a food guy. I'm not a drinking guy. You know, like I need to like, I need to assess my surroundings and, and manipulate them in a creative way. That, that's what makes me happy. I'm that not resonates gonna, so much. I'm not going to sit in like a Greek restaurant and be like, this is the best food I ever have. I'm so happy. Yeah, it's not, yeah, yeah. it's not how it works with me. It's like, no, I need to go photograph the food will make me happy. Or like reinterpreting the food and like designing and sculpting. That, that makes me happier, you know? Yeah. And so I think you just have to cultivate. You need to understand what makes you happy, mm-hmm. right? What, what really gets you excited and then just do those things, you know, do those things. Because that in the end of the day, like we're so lucky that we do things that we love. You know, we're so lucky. So many people can't say that. You know, and, and that career has been carefully designed by practice and by repetition and, and outreach and, and a vibe sent out. And, and it's so important to really understand that, you know, I'm not making the work for accolades or awards or recognition or this or that. I could care less, man. It's more about a feeling. Yeah. Yeah. All of that's just a byproduct. The it's all byproduct. The, yeah, the good, the good, the goodness of it's it. It's like all. what makes a doctor happy. You know, a doctor, a, a surgeon's happy by saving somebody's life. You know, yeah. like or you know that brings them pleasure, and they understand what makes them happy. That's why they do it. You know, I I create because it makes me happy. It makes me feel alive. Yeah, I think a lot of your career is luck. A, a creative individual, a lot of it is luck. All of the big breaks in my career were lucky. Every single one. Literally, literally every single one. But you were prepared to be lucky, I feel. Right? Well, was it just complete luck or did you work and it was a preparation and preparation so that when that luck hit, you were ready to… It was right place at the right time luck. You know, okay. and so it takes, it takes a lot to get to that right place. You know? Yeah. Uh, but then paired with the right time with the right people. Um, and so I'm just kind of working so hard to cre- keep on putting things out there. I'm, I'm kind of like, I'm surfing for aliens, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm throwing things out there. I'm creating noise. I'm creating a vibration by constantly making things, mm-hmm. you know, and big and small, big and small, you know, for, for clients, for myself. If there's a shutdown and there's no client work, I'm making personal work. I'm not the yeah, kind yeah. of person that's going to wait for someone to Hire me to make work. I'm always making work. Yeah. No matter what, you know. And yeah. what's that feeling when you make that work? What's that like when you jump into that new medium, when you're working on that new project? Is it, is it a combination of… It's curious. Curiosity. There you go. Yeah. It's curiosity. Yeah. And, it, and it's always a pairing. It's like, it's like you're in a… It's like you're in a dance class, right? You're learning how to do the salsa. And all of a sudden, you're dancing with one partner and they change the partner. And you're kind of like, ooh, how are we going to move together? And, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. and it's kind of like you're feeling it out. That's how I approach mediums, you know, and, I, and, I, and I'll, I'll discover something in a certain application and I'll say, okay, I want to take that discovery and I want to apply it to this application. And then that discovery will go to this application. So it's an onward, it's like a, it's a snowball. Mm-hmm. It's a snowball of sparkles. It's a snowball of sparkles. I yeah. love it. And they I all kind it. of dissipate away and some fleet off and, and connect with others and some kind of go and snowball and break off into different things. And, and, uh, you know, I just, I'm just, I'm just curious. And I, here's, here's the thing. When I, when I went to, yeah, I went to Humboldt state and, you know, it was right. It was was late 1990s. Right. And so 
computers were just, we were just starting to use computers. Photoshop was in its infancy. You know, After Effects, you know, 3.0, you know, it was the kind of like After Effects and Flash were the first things I learned. They weren't teaching that in school, right? They weren't teaching us After Effects or Photoshop. I was just in the, in the computer lab. You know, I, was the, I was that guy. I was always in the computer lab reading my Peach Pit Press, you know, like reading my books, you know, my yeah. lynda.com, you know, like all that stuff, just trying to learn as much as I can. And that feeling, that feeling being in the lab and learning new stuff and, and realizing, oh, you can actually do this and apply this to make this, that feeling I'm always seeking to replicate. When I was 20, 20 years old, 21 years old, that feeling, I, I will never forget that feeling. Up next on the show, we invite somebody super smart to break down the zeros and ones behind all the techie tech G-Monk just shared with us. Our expert today happens to be a friend of mine, designer, artist, and global head of creators for Z by HP, Josh St. John. Welcome to the show. What's up, Josh? How are you? Hey, how's it going, Tito? Let's talk about fluid simulations. G-Monk mentioned it a ton. Bradley G-Monkowitz, correct? Bradley G. Monkowitz. Yeah. What are they? And can you break them down for us? You know, speaking from Bradley's perspective, he's like been really kind of interested in in this kind of practical versus like in-camera effects. So with fluid sims, particle sims, pyro sims, so like the elements, right? He's been really, uh, I think he he wants to be a wizard or something to control these uh, elements himself. Mm-hmm. With the uh, GPU power of the Z workstations, he's been able to push those kind of creative boundaries using a bunch of different software to just recreate what we see in nature and kind of put his own uh, spin on it. And what are some examples of fluid simulations? How are they, how are they being used? They're used in everything from uh, media and entertainment. So if you're watching like the latest Hollywood blockbuster, if you're seeing um, scenes that are shot at sea with huge waves or you're seeing floods happening in, you know, kind of urban environments, obviously, you know, they're not mm-hmm. doing all of that stuff practically. There's a, there's a hybrid approach there. But it's also, it's used in engineering pursuits. So like with 3D printing, if you're spraying or depositing like microfluidics, so little drops of liquid onto, let's say, powdered nylon simulating how the, the material will flow. So it's used both for just its visual and aesthetic quality, but it's also used for more engineering and scientific purposes. And, and what are they doing when they're doing that? They're just seeing like how it's going to look and land before they actually create the thing? Yeah, I mean, it's really just a predictive, you know? So how can we... Um, you know, control. So in the engineering case or in the media and entertainment case? In the engineering case. I mean, the, 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 the entertainment case, I think that makes sense, right? You, the right visually right. being able to see all that type of things and, and create it from nothing and have way more control. I'm just trying to understand from engineering space. Yeah, so process control is what I would say it would kind of fall under. So how do you begin to simulate these uh, microfluidic effects of the way the the, the inks are going to interact with the nylon particles? Mm-hmm. Um, with the GPU power now, um, we can... It's not actually, you know, it's not all just GPU. There's a lot of CPU, single-threaded stuff on the solvers as well. So um, there's ways to kind of very accurately simulate what's going on at these very small scales so that we can improve the way in which our um, printers print and the types of parts that you're able to realize. CPU, GPU, all that technical know-how. Does that mean like, like I just want it to work. So what, what's the thing that you have to focus on to make fluid simulations possible in, in your machine? Is that like you need to have high graphics? You need to have a high, like a, like a fast computer? What? 
Yeah, I mean, so it comes down to the softwares that you're using. So um, whatever software you're using is going to have a different set of underlying math. So a lot of the stuff that we're seeing now in the media and entertainment space, this is all like GPU driven, and that's where you're getting these amazing effects. And then on the engineering side, it could be either CPU or GPU. And it just really depends on like the underlying mathematics that are making these simulations come to work and just work, right? So you can count on it and you can count on it to be fast. I'm a noob. I'm getting into this for the first time. What type of software should I look into? Should people be using? Should they be starting with? Or what do you recommend? It's really uh, depends on what you're trying to do. So I know that Bradley, he's using a lot of Maya and yeah. thing, uh, Bifrost, which is a plugin for that. But there's um, side effects, makes a software called Houdini that does amazing effects. And then the real-time engines like Unreal and Unity are the place where you can kind of experience all of these things in action. But yeah, again, it just really comes down to the specifics of what you're trying to do. I know Bradley is trying to make these incredible images and he's like using almost like photography tricks. So he's using virtual lenses and putting distortions and he's taking some of his own photography to make the the environment maps that actually light these sims. And um, so he's doing a lot of kind of multidisciplinary tricks to realize these images. Mm -hmm. So in his case, you know, He's mixing all kinds of interesting softwares together to realize the the image that he wants to. Are all those softwares, do they cost money? Are any of them open source, free things, easy to use stuff? Oh, that, I mean, that's a great question. I think most of the softwares I just mentioned um, have some cost to them. Some of the game engines you can use for uh, free, and then mm. uh, there's like a licensing and royalty model. But there's tons of great software out there for free to get started. Yeah. I mean, Blender uh, is open source. Blender is a great place to get started. And then um, on the educational licenses, a lot of the um, software companies have really great uh, educational licenses deals so that people can uh, get in and learn how to use all of these tools. Yeah. So if you're in school, take advantage of that .edu address and and get yourself some free software. Oh, for sure. So he also talked about why he's learning fluid simulations in 3D. Um, Why should listeners learn 3D? It's just one more D. I, uh, I one think more that, D. <laughs> one more, and then when you add time to it, you get the fourth D. You know, when we think about when we've gone from kind of when I grew up with the graphic user interface, like can't kind of moved away from command lines, so like C colon forward slash back to graphic user interface. Now we're really seeing with AR and VR and these kind of uh, mixed realities moving from kind of two D interfaces to three D interfaces. So there's just I think the future of computing is really a lot more 3D environments and 3D interfaces. Uh, so having a good background in 3D just gives you a lot more control. Like for instance, the image that I'm taking right now, you see I'm lit by the windows in front of me, et cetera. If this was capturing me in 3D, I'd actually be able to change the lighting after the fact. Yeah. Creating in 3D seems pretty intensive and you might have a bias here, but like what type of hardware do you recommend for 3D-based work? Well, one thing I want to say is actually 3D is super intuitive because like if you want to become a 2D artist, you have to learn shading and perspective and all of these things. Whereas 3D, you're actually in a virtual world. So if you want something closer to you, you just move it closer to you. So I Mm -hmm. think in some ways, 3D is more approachable. The tools traditionally have been, you know, technical, but the way things have evolved 
has made them a lot more approachable. And if you're just getting started for hardware, we, we're just in the process of releasing the ZBook Create, which is um, uh, a 15-inch laptop that's going to have a lot of power for creators. And then we have the uh, ZBook Studio, which is uh, more of our professional device. That's for that kind of higher-end professional work. But both are similar devices in the way they look and feel, but for um, creators just getting started or creators kind of in more of an engineering or technical pro field, uh, we, ha- we have choices for both. So if you want to get started in 3D, what should your first step be? Download a 3D program and get started. I mean, the first program I ever used was, uh, I guess it's dating myself a little, but in 1995, I walked into my uh, tech department. We had like a studio there and we had 3D Studio 4.0 and it was like DOS. And, uh, you know, I remember drawing the box uh, like a box and spinning the cube on the screen for the first time like that. That's burnt into my uh, kind of kind of memory forever. And, And I think you know, just get started. Like Blender is a great choice because it's free. You can download yep. it. And then a lot of the other applications are available for trials or on discounted EDU licenses. And there's just a, there, there's a ton of ways to get involved. Yeah. That, that's how I've always taken the approach is like get started and maybe like give yourself like a project, right? Like, like give yourself something that will give you a deadline that you'll be able to complete and you'll learn it that much faster. So. hundred percent. Like During quarantine, I've been putting tutorial time on my calendar, um, one hour every day, seven days a week, and just doing projects and softwares that I've wanted to learn about or, uh, you know, just hadn't had the time. And that discipline has actually gotten me just so much more excited about um, uh, all of the things I do on a daily basis by just having those projects. And, you know, some of them, you know, you start at the beginning, even like I've been doing it for a couple of decades, but, you know, starting in a new software, you're drawing fishbowls or you're doing yeah. uh, something really simple, but it, it's fun to learn those new skills. Totally. Josh, you're one smart man. Thank you so much. I'm going to let you get back to your laboratory, wherever you are right now. Thanks. And, I'm going to uh, go turn my left brain on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> left brain, right brain. Do your thing. All right. Thanks. I'll see you later. Big, big thanks to G-Monk today for coming on the show to remind us that collaboration puts the C in creativity. Make sure to follow him on all the socials at GMonk to keep up with his latest experiments, creation, and installations. And also visit his website at gmunk.com. G-M-U-N-K dot com. Right Brainers is brought to you by Z by HP, the makers of high-performance laptops, desktops, and solutions for technical and creative pros. Well, that's a wrap on this episode. Thanks so much for joining us. If you want more food for your right brain, visit www.hp.com slash Until next time, I'm Tito Hamsey, and this is Right Brainers. <laughs>